The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Welcome back, everybody. It's so good to have you back here. And I want to thank you for those of you listening and encourage you to share this show with your friends uh, because we have a lot of great topics now today and also coming up. Today, we're doing a medical update on medical cannabis. And we've got a great expert with us who I will introduce in just a moment. I just wanted to give you a little overview. The U.S. cannabis industry is currently $61 billion dollars And on average, it's growing at about 20% a year. But in 2020, with the COVID-19 pandemic and our stay-at-home lifestyle, cannabis sales grew by 67%, which is quite amazing. Now, of that 60 billion or so, 10 billion is from medical cannabis, and that's what we're focusing on today. I looked it up uh, today, clinicaltrials.gov shows over 1,000 studies currently going on with cannabis and its effect on medical conditions. 34 states have in the United States have legalized recreational and or medical cannabis, and they charge tax and earn significant state revenues, $8 billion as of, um, a year as of May 2021. So this is significant rev- revenue for the states. But yet at the federal level, cannabis is still considered a Schedule I controlled substance, which means it has high potential for abuse. It has no recognized acceptable medical use, and there's a lack of accepted safety use for the drug or substance under medical supervision. So what we have today here is a contradiction between state law and federal regulation. And to explain all this and give us an update is Cliff Mintz, PhD. He runs CannabisScienceBlog.com. Cliff has an extensive background in biopharmaceutical drug development and cannabis science. And in addition, he's a professional, I'm sorry, in addition, he's professional science and medical writer with a penchant for blogging and social media site development. He received a BS degree from Cornell and a PhD degree from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Welcome, Cliff. How are you today? Great, Jonathan. Great. Great to be here. Good. So what got you interested in all this, uh, you know, all your background, what got you interested in cannabis and, and it motivated you to write your cannabis science blog? So it's uh, sort of a, a circuitous route that took me from uh, studying microbiology uh, to, to cannabis, but it's pr- pretty much a straight pathway, if you, you will, in that I spent many years working in the uh, biopharmaceutical uh, industries and medical devices industries. And um, back in the old days, uh, when drug development was um, a, more of an art than, than a science than it is today, a lot of natural uh, products or natural products from plant or, or soil or other biological sources was or were the source of new and novel uh, drug treatments that the pharmaceutical industry was, was able to uh, recognize and then turn into 
uh, drugs. For example, some of the people who listen to this podcast may have heard of the drug Taxol. Taxol is a product of a, a tree that grows in Asia, and uh, it's got the bark from that tree has natural anti-cancer hmm. properties. And as a result, scientists discovered the tree, extracted the bark because they had reasonable ideas based on anecdotal evidence from persons who lived in that region who had traditional medicine practices that said, hey, the bark of this tree, you know, really seems to help people with cancer. And they were able to identify a bona fide uh, cancer, anti-cancer agent from it called Taxol. Um, and um, off to the races they went and Taxol is now a very common and older, but still frequently used uh, treatment for breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So much like that tree, cannabis or cannabis sativa, which is the uh, genus and species or the species name of uh, marijuana, weed, whatever you want to call it, cannabis, um, like other uh, natural sources, the cannabis plant has a number of chemicals in it that seem to have very likely medicinal properties. Hmm. And this is borne out through a lot of the um, early literature on cannabis and historical references to the use of uh, this type of plant for treating maladies like pain, nausea, inflammation, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in my mind, there's very little difference uh, between cannabis and the tree that yielded taxol in my mind. Mm -hmm. And it, cannabis sativa or cannabis, as I'll call it moving forward, just represents another plant that has potential therapeutic medicinal value for a variety of medical conditions that people suffer from. So, now, yes, I'm sorry, go sorry. ahead, finish. I didn't. Mean and to so, that. so recognizing that there's nothing really different about cannabis compared to other natural sources that have yielded very potent, uh, useful therapeutic drugs, I said, hey, why not look at the cannabis plant as a potential source of new therapeutics to treat a variety of illnesses that have unmet medical needs right. for many people? Well, thank you for explaining that. That really helps. Um, so a big reason that, that cannabis has such an effect on the human body is because of what's now called the endocannabinoid system found in humans and I believe in other mammals. This was discovered by an Israeli chemist, Raphael Meshulam, which is one of the reasons Israel is so advanced in using cannabis as medicine. What is this endocannabinoid system and why does this herb or this plant cannabis work in our bodies? So the endocannabinoid system is a, a, a part of um, our internal physiology, and um, there are uh, receptors found on various uh, structures in our body. Uh, they're known as uh, cannabinoid receptors, and they're, they've been designated cannabinoid receptor or cannabinoid binding receptor 1 or CB1 and cannabinoid binding receptor 2. And what these endocannabinoids are, are they are lipid-like molecules that are actually neurotransmitters. And they are found, the CB1 or the uh, cannabis uh, binding receptor 1 is found primarily in the central and peripheral nervous systems. Hmm. So it's already in our body. 
So these these receptors that bind the cannabinoids, the endocannabinoids produced by our body, which I don't want to give you like uh, the names of them, but there are several of them that have been studied and identified. They're known as endocannabinoids. And when these things bind to these receptors, they cause the body to do a lot of different things if these receptors are present in the areas where the um, the endocannabinoids actually bind to these receptors. So, so in the, with regard to CB1, that's primarily in the um, central and peripheral nervous systems, whereas the cannabis binding receptor twos or CB2s are found primarily on immune cells. Mm. Okay. Now, so, what's the connection yes. between the cannabis plant and these endocannabinoids in our body? So, if you look at the structure of the endocannabinoids as compared with the cannabinoids that are found in cannabis, thus the name cannabinoid, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. So these are molecules that very much resemble some of the endocannabinoids. And if we take, and they're called, the cannabinoids found in cannabis are called phytocannabinoids, phyto meaning plant-based. Mm-hmm. So they're exogenous or not in our own body, but since they resemble the endogenous endocannabinoids, Mm-hmm. Enough. These molecules or cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids produced in the cannabis plant can bind to CB1 and CB2 receptors in the human body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are different cannabinoids that mediate phytocannabinoids that mediate the differential effects or properties of cannabis itself. Got it. Okay. So it's a really, it's, 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 it's a natural plant that is very similar to the molecules we have in our body, which have certain effects on our central nervous so and immune systems. Right. So like, so if, for example, if somebody, um, I guess we're allowed to say this on the show, if somebody uh, um, smokes some cannabis or vaporizes some cannabis, the cannabis will get into our bloodstream and then bind to, or the cannabinoids themselves, mm-hmm. as it's vaporized or burned when you're smoking it, will right. get into the bloodstream and bind to the receptors. Found, mm-hmm. at least in this case, different cannabinoids bind to different receptors. But the reason why cannabis or marijuana or weed, whatever you want to call it, is so popular is the psychotropic effect mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. cannabis. And the cannabinoid that mediates the psycho- psychotropic effect or the so-called high from smoking cannabis is known as 9-tetrahydrocannabinoid. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, delta-9-tetrahydrocannabinoid. <laughs> and that thing binds, that phytocannabinoid binds to CB1 receptors mm-hmm. in the central and peripheral nervous systems. And I'm not sure how many people want to admit to smoking marijuana or cannabis recreationally, but it's legal. So it's much like drinking alcohol these days. So what happens is that the phytocannabinoid, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, will bind to the receptors normally occupied by the endocannabinoids and thereby have a differential effect on neurotransmission in the central nervous system. So anybody who's been high on marijuana 
or smoking cannabis or vaporizing it, whatever you do with it, is, is a result of the THC binding to the CB1 receptors on neurons in the central nervous system, and you right. get that so-called high. Got it. Now, there's a difference, and I know a lot of people are interested in this one. There's a difference between cannabis or THC and CBD, right? Right. Um, and, and CBD, I, I, I'll tell you what I know, and you'll correct me, but CBD, I think, comes from the hemp plant or can be made from cannabis by taking out the THC, but the CBD itself can have medicinal properties. Right. So, so I want to just take a step back okay. and say that much like the human body where there are several different endocannabinoids, now you have to remember plants and, and humans are distinctly different <laughs> entities and they serve different purposes in, in, in the plant and the uh, the mammalian or human system, right? Mm -hmm. So there are fewer endocannabinoids that we know about in humans because of the role evolutionarily that they play in mediating a lot of our functionality in terms of our immune response, pain responsiveness, memory, all that stuff. It's a very efficient system that's a lot more sophisticated than what's going on in the plant. Mm -hmm. All right. So there are, there are a multitude of many different cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids found in the plant. Okay. All right. So the most abundant phytocannabinoid in cannabis sativa is THC. The second one is so-called CBD or cannabidinol or cannabinol or cannabidiol, mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is the second most um, uh, abundant phytocannabinoid in cannabis. And there are several others that are also found in very high quantities in the cannabis plant. Got it. All right. Great. Now. The interesting thing is, as I've already said, THC binds very firmly, strongly, whatever way you want to characterize it, to the CB1 receptors. Mm -hmm. Thus, the THC will give you that, because it binds so readily to those receptors found in your central nervous system, it's going to totally deregulate, if you will, your mental uh processing because a lot of these receptors are found in the cerebellum of the brain, which is a part of the brain that's involved in reasoning and, and, and other functionality. So your perceptions get audio and, and, and visual stuff. So your senses get kind of messed up because instead of having the regular endocannabinoid bind in small amounts, you're flooding the system with an enormous amount of THC, which is going to bind everywhere. Got it. So the more THC you consume, the, the more uh, your perception, the, the psychotropic effects are going to be. Obviously, there's a limited number of receptors found in, in your central nervous system. So you, you Eventually, we'll have all of your receptors engaged. And then when people say, well, I'm really smashed, that's because they've got a lot of THC in their system as a result of whichever way they delivered it to themselves. Now, yeah, interest. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, give me, give me about a minute now on CBD and how that's different. So CBD, unlike um, THC, is not psychoactive. Okay. And unlike... THC, CBD doesn't like to bind to either of the two receptors. 
very strongly. Mm-hmm. However, it does bind uh, in, in some fashion to the receptors. And the difference between THC and CBD is, is that there's no psychotropic effect. So no matter how much CBD you take or ingest, smoke or whatever, you're never going to get the psychotropic effect. But it does have medicinal effects. So, yes. And so does THC. The problem with the THC and the reason. So if you look at if you look at the effectiveness of the phytocannabinoids, Mm -hmm. the two most abundant are THC and CBD. THC is by far the one that has the best of the best anti-inflammatory, anxiolytic, um, uh, you know, pain management, nausea control. It's by, by and large the one that really works well. The problem is, is that it's got that psychotropic property. Right. And, you know, again, you know, if you, if you look at, if you look at the a medicine cabinet per se at the physician's disposal, you really don't want to use a drug that's going to cause people to have, you know, memory issues, perception issues, right. even though whatever. So THC is like a very interesting molecule, but the, the a second molecule or cannabinoid that is also made is CBD. So like THC, CBD in the laboratory and in some experimental animal models has been shown to have a number of beneficial therapeutic effects as does THC, but the benefit of CBD is that you don't have to worry about any psychotropic side effects for people who use the molecule. However, I will say that the potency of the effects falls off pretty substantially from THC in in an experimental system and then CBD. Got it. So we're talking with Cliff Mintz. He's PhD, and he's also the author of Cannabis Science Blog. In this first section, we've talked about the basics of cannabis and sativa and CBD. In our next two segments, we're going to talk about the medicinal uses and the the research that's going on right now, the clinical trials, and then we'll also talk about the cannabis industry itself. So stick with us. We'll be back with sections two and three on this very, very interesting and current topic. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, we're back with Cliff Mintz, PhD. He's the author of CannabisScienceBlog.com. And what I want to focus on in this segment is the medical use and the medical research for cannabis and CBD. So Cliff, can you give us an overview? There are over a thousand clinical trials going on, according to clinicaltrials.gov. There are a thousand clinical trials going on in the U.S. alone what are people looking at? What are the potentials? You know, what kind of effects are people looking at in doing these clinical trials? If you could just give us a, a, a broad overview. So I, I guess uh, my response to you, Jonathan, would be, what are they not looking at Okay. <laughs> with regard to the potential of these cannabinoids and, and what they, they may offer from a medicinal slash therapeutic standpoint. I can tell you that based on um, what, what I know is, is that there are certain cannabinoids like uh, CBN or CBC that have antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal properties. There's some, uh, uh, experimental data to suggest that CBD and CBG and other cannabinoid uh, have potent anti-cancer effects. There are clinical trials underway have been underway for many years looking at the effect of CBD and other cannabinoids as well as the entire plant on post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome. Um, there's a lot of neurological work being done as an anti-anxiety or as an a- as also as a means to manage pain, how to control nausea from chemotherapy, how to manage chronic pain. I mean, you name it, anything you could think of, people are looking at these molecules because, again, as you so aptly pointed out, there is an endogenous endocannabinoid system in our bodies that do, does play a role in neurological function, immune function, mm-hmm. um, pain management, et cetera, et cetera. One, one anecdote I, I, I'd like to share is, is that for those of you who exercise and, and you know, really get into it, reach, if you run or you really get into that and you feel like that so-called runner's high, Part of that is contributed not only from endorphins, but also from the endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So it's not just endorphins as the endocannabinoids are up regulated, meaning that they're overproduced because your body's working. Everything's working well. You know, you're getting everything. You need everything in there. And part of that euphoric feeling that some of you or many of you may have experienced when you exercise is a combination of the endorphin system as well as the endocannabinoid system. So, so obviously it's since a play and the cannabinoids place an important role in regulating pain, um, other immunological function, neurotransmission, you know, clearly if you're looking at, for example, the possibility of cannabinoids and multiple uh, sclerosis or cannabinoids and Parkinson's disease. And I mean, the sky's really the limit at this mm-hmm. point. It just mm-hmm. depends on how, um, ingenious, if you will, the persons who are studying these things, how they figure out what, where to put their efforts in terms of developing a potential therapeutic drug that could be approved by the Food and Drug Administration and used medically by through prescription in the United States. Now, there's one company that really came through with a very successful treatment for childhood epilepsy. Um, yes. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it's a very interesting story. It's a company called GW Pharma, and GW Pharma started in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and they were, as far as I know, the first company to legitimately make an investment into looking at cannabis and seeing whether or not they could, you know, derive something from the cannabis plant that would be medically relevant to treat persons with unmet medical needs. Mm-hmm. And so they, they did a lot of um, proprietary uh, early genetic work with the cannabis plant where they were manipulating the plant genetically to overproduce or underproduce certain types of cannabinoids. And as a result of that work, they were able to develop plants that serves as a source of these compounds, for example, CBD uh, or THC or whatever else they're looking at. I'm not, it's a proprietary uh, genetically engineered cannabis plant library. So I don't know exactly what they've got, but I assure you that they spent the first probably 10 years of their existence doing all of the laboratory work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the mid to late, to probably around 2007, 2008, that, that vintage, they came up with this product called Sativex, S-A-T-I-V-E-X. And Sativex is a mixture of THC and CBD in one-to-one ratio. So there's an equal amount of THC and an equal amount of, of CBD in it. And they were able to get Sativex, Sativex on the market to treat pain and muscle plasticity that is frequently associated with multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. So this product has been on the market and I think it's marketed in over 32 different countries in, throughout the world as a bona fide treatment for patients who suffer from muscle spasticity as a result of their multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because as you, you alluded to in the beginning of the program, even though 34 states or, or more now in the District of Columbia have approved the use of cannabis at the state level, both recreationally and or medically. Generally speaking, medical marijuana comes in first 
because it's an easier sell yes. <laughs> to, to state officials and local police forces that, you know, you know, it, it helps people medically. So let's let that first. And then ultimately it morphs into uh, recreational adult cannabis use because the state regulators and the state entities say, hey, if we grow it and regulate it, we could tax it and make money and have yes. a windfall to take care of all the needs that we weren't meeting because taxes weren't high enough in our states. And we could do a lot more. So rather than fight it and spend money arresting people for marijuana, let's just regulate it, sell it, tax it, and everybody will be happy. Right. And now so it becomes a new revenue stream and it's, and it's a use tax. That's right. Exactly. Just like the alcohol tax. When you buy right. alcohol, there's a state tax and a federal tax. And you generate a lot of revenue from people buying alcohol in various states. It's just mm -hmm. a fact. Right. Um, so anyway, they um, realized that they could never get Sativix or Sativex on the market in the United States because of the scheduling of cannabis or anything derived from cannabis. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, that means that FDA, the agency, Food and Drug Administration, that re regulates drug approvals for prescription medicinal use in the United States, as well as other functionalities, mm -hmm. um, they, it's illegal. It's illegal for FDA uh, to approve anything derived from a cannabis plant. Got all it. right. Now, stepping back a little bit, not to confuse the listeners, but you hit on a very important point at the beginning of the show, saying that hemp is essentially a cousin of cannabis sativa. Right. And I don't want to get into the difference between hemp and, and cannabis, except that hemp has virtually, or it should not have, if it's really hemp, any THC. Right. But it does have a large amount of CBD. So much of the CBD, I'm sure most of the listeners have seen that all of a sudden there's CBD everywhere. products everywhere. So how is that possible? Well, not to get sidetracked into the legislation, but two years ago, three years ago, the Agriculture Department put out an, a, a, an act or a regulation that said, we're now making hemp that has less than 0.2% THC in it legal for production. Right. And that's because Mitch McConnell is from a state that has huge <laughs> hemp growers. And so he, he helped get that passed. That's exactly right. Right. And since nobody <laughs> could get high from it. Right. Now, and it's not regulated any, you know, so, so basically Jonathan and Cliff could go out, grow some hemp in, in a, you know, agriculture hydroponically in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. We could extract it, put it in, you know, our favorite wine and say, we're, we're selling CBD containing wine. That's good for relaxation. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody regulating it. There's no, you know, who knows how much CBD is really in it because it's not regulated at the state level, the way other things are at right. the federal level. So, so anyway, getting back to GW farmers. So they were successful in launching the product because of the, the cannabis law, right? Um, they couldn't introduce a THC-containing product into the United States. That's just illegal. Wasn't going to happen. Didn't happen. So then they decided to take a different tact. And I'm not sure many of your 
viewers will remember this, but back in the 2010s or so around that time, there was this, this um, phenomenon in Colorado and there were parents who had children who suffer from genetically inherited uh, childhood ep epilepsy, like Dravet syndrome or Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. And these are genetic rare diseases that result in children who have from five to a hundred little seizures every day. They have no quality of life. And somewhere in Colorado, somebody realized that if I give cannabis to these children, it reduces the frequency of seizures. Mm -hmm. So it reduces seizures from multiple tens of tens times a day down to three or one or two. And then people kept on experimenting with different varieties of cannabis, like you've heard, you know, Acapulco Gold, you know, Red Hot Chili Pepper, you know, any of the, the marketed names. And they finally realized that these strains of cannabis that are high in CBD actually work very well. And they don't have to worry about the psychotropic effects of the THC that would be found in uh, higher or different strains that have a high THC content. So how did we get to from that experimentation to the medicine? So this, this, so what happened was the folks in GW realized that these folks were onto something anecdotally, and there was a very big political movement in the United States. So they said, let's start looking at CBD in childhood epilepsy patients. Mm -hmm. And they had the plants. Uh, they may be making their CBD from hemp. They may be making it from a genetically engineered cannabis plant. This is another thing that I really don't want to talk about that hasn't been scientifically proven. But there is some rationale that cannabis, CBD derived from cannabis may be a little bit more effective than that derived from hemp for a variety of things. But let's put that aside and basically say, they said, okay, let's do this scientifically. So they conducted clinical trials. And remember, this is CBD. Yep. No THC. So CBD was then made legal in the United States so they could do all this stuff outside and inside the United States. It wasn't an illegal product anymore because mm -hmm. hemp was illegal until three years ago, mm -hmm. unless you had a special license. And they did clinical trials and they did them industrial strength clinical trials like any pharmaceutical company would to get a experimental drug approved by the FDA for safety and effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, uh, two years ago, FDA approved this drug or this drug, which was marketed as Epidiolex for the treatment of Dravet syndrome and, and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome in children. So that product is on the market. It's being sold in the United States. And the last thing I read was that they did about $800 million in sales. Wow. Between five and $800 million in sales of this product that was launched two years ago in the United States. Right. I just want to give a brief update to everybody. Actually, this should sound familiar to everybody because of what we've gone through with the COVID vaccines. But what does it mean to go through clinical trials? And basically what happens, and Cliff, you'll correct me, we've just got a couple of minutes here, but basically a, a pharmaceutical company or pr producer will 
basically test a drug on a very small sample to see if it harms anybody. So it's really a, a safety test that's done first. That's phase one. Phase two is you try it on a bigger population and you see what beneficial or deleterious effects it has. So hopefully you prove that it has beneficial effects. And then phase three is really what's a big population trial where you, where you really try this drug on a lot of different people and prove that it works in large populations and also a variety of populations. So that's the process that, that companies have to go through to get a, a drug like Epi, Epidiolex. I don't know how you say it, but Epidiolex, yeah. Epidiolex approved. Um, they had to go through this. So with these thousand clinical trials that we're, we've talked about, uh, that's a process that's happening now. Um, across the United States in a thousand different labs where people are doing clinical trials in these three stages to see what's going to work effectively for cannabis and in patients who are suffering from different diseases. Any, any correction on that? We've got about a Oh, minute. that was perfectly executed. <clears throat> Thank I you. mean, that's exactly the, uh, the, way, the way it goes. Right. So it just, it's going to take time for this stuff to happen. But as I said, there are a thousand clinical trials going on right now. So Cliff, this has been, this is great. We have one more segment coming up and one, we're going to take a commercial break, but when we come back, what I want to talk about with Cliff is what's the state of the industry in terms of regulation, production, um, standardization, so that cannabis can really become a potential medicine. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. We're with Cliff Mintz, who's the author of CannabisScienceBlog.com, which I highly recommend to you if you want to learn more about cannabis. He's got a lot of great articles there. We'll be back right after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, we're back for the third segment with Cliff Mintz, who's the author of the CannabisScienceBlog.com. We've talked in general about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system. We've talked about all the thousands of clinical trials that are going on right now with cannabis and one or two of the products that have actually made it through and gotten approved. And what I want to talk about in this third segment is really what does it take to really kind of make a significant difference in this industry so that we can move forward to realize the potentials for cannabis in the United States for medical use. So Cliff, the first problem I think is all about regulation and scheduling. So let's talk about that first. Right. So as you um, um, described in the previous segment, um, cannabis and anything derived from it is a designated a schedule one drug, a controlled substance that ostensibly has no medicinal value whatsoever and has negative and deleterious effects on anybody who uses it. So along with cannabis, we have compounds like LSD, heroin, uh, some other uh, drugs that presumably have no medicinal value. And that's the, the irony of the whole cannabis designation as a Schedule One drug has never made sense because if you compare if you compare cannabis to heroin or cocaine, which is a Schedule One, well, not cocaine, it's not a Schedule One, Schedule Two, but any of the LSD. I mean, clearly there are, as evidenced by the approval of um, a a cannabinoid that is found in cannabis, it does have some redeeming medicinal value and can meet unmet medical needs. For example, children with, uh, with uh, infant or childhood epilepsy for which there was no real treatment that was safe for these children. I mean, it's clear that cannabis does have medicinal value as far as I'm concerned and many others like me who see cannabis as nothing more than a plant that offers a therapeutic benefit to humanity. That said, because it's a Schedule One drug, it's very difficult for scientists to actually even work with the drug in the United States. And in fact, Jonathan and I were, were talking the other day about there's only one uh, place in the United States where people who want to do clinical or basic science research with cannabis are allowed to get their cannabis from, and that's the University of Mississippi. And mm-hmm. don't, ask, don't ask me why them but they, they are a land-grant college or they're an agricultural college or whatever, but they're the ones that you have to get all your cannabis from. Now, this may have changed because of the relaxing within states of regulations of making you know, cannabis, medical cannabis, as well as uh, adult use in many states um, legal. But at the federal level, because it's a Schedule One drug, it inhibits research. Also, 
anybody in the cannabis business will tell you because it's a schedule one drug, they're not able to do banking with, with federal banks. Yeah. Right. You cannot be in the banking system. You can't be in the banking system. So this has resulted in you. Obviously, if you can't put your money in a bank or invest it through traditional means, it's put a lot of cannabis uh, uh, entities at risk because they've got wads and wads of cash floating around because they can't open a checking account. They can't do anything with it. So that's really been a, a problem for the the industry. And the, the only thing that really makes sense to me, given the numbers of states that are moving towards legalization of adult use cannabis, is for the federal government to reschedule cannabis as a Schedule 2 or 3, preferably a Schedule 3 drug, which means that you know, basically you could use it any way you want without harm or concern with deleterious effects to others, and thereby ostensibly legalizing cannabis at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Once it's legalized at the, at the or rescheduled at the federal level, it opens up the industry to more experimentation, more government-funded clinical trials, as well as the access of the cannabis industry to banking and support industries that are necessary to economically develop the individual industries within individual states. Now, dovetailing with that, if it becomes federal, legalized at the federal level, that means that everything could be standardized Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and regulated in in a more logical, cogent way, because as many people may not know, just because it's cannabis is legal medically and, and recreationally in Colorado doesn't mean they do the same thing that's required in California, where it's also. So you have 34 different entities that have different regulations, different ways of doing business, different standardizations, different purity checks, different safety checks, different pesticide checks, different contamination checks, and it's all willy-nilly. Now, also, even though it's legal in Colorado and legal in California, you cannot, you cannot cross borders. Right. You can't ship it across the state. You can't ship it across the state. It's illegal at the federal level. That's ill. That's a crime. Anybody right. caught doing that could be prosecuted for for illegal transport or criminal activity, and they will do it. The feds under at least the Trump administration would do that. Mm-hmm. All right. So it really behooves us as potential patients, as well as consumers uh, of cannabis to have it legal at the federal reschedule at the federal level. So the industry in of itself can come together collectively and set up a, a panel of safety standards, uh, best practices for use in the workplace. What, what is cannabis intoxication and can we identify it in real time? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that would, would help the industry if it was rescheduled as soon as possible. Right. Now, along with that, um, we also have like standardization. And what I mean by that is what combinations of THC or CBD are going to address a specific Mm -hmm. health condition, right? 
And so right now, if you go into a dispensary, you'll see all sorts of, I I don't want to call it a medical claim, but it's awfully close (laughs) to a medical claim about what this strain will do for you. Like this strain will relax you. This strain will reduce your anxiety. This strain will do this. It will do that. None of this is officially researched yet. And it's all over the place in terms of what, what, what uh, dispensaries and producers claim. So with clinical trials, I would think, that things would get more standardized. So here's the, so, you know, in, in the first segment, we talked about how I got into it and why I do it and how I understand it. And being in the pharmaceutical industry exposed me to the regulatory pathways that are required for the approval of prescription-based drugs, which medicinal marijuana ultimately will be. When mm-hmm. I, we talk about prescription, just for the listeners' purposes, they are required to be prescribed or by a physician to treat a specific disease for which that medication was approved for use by the Food and Drug Administration. As as the result of clinical trials. As a result of clinical trials. Right. So right now, the interesting thing is because it's not legal, quote unquote, at the federal level, there's no regulation, as you are alluding to, of what goes on inside of a particular state. All of this is this is done at the federal level. Right. Right. So like you're saying, all you need to do is Jonathan and Cliff could go to to Las Vegas and their hydroponically grown cannabis, extract some stuff, dump it into some soda without measuring anything really and say, hey, drink this cannabis, you know, CBD rich drink. You'll have better memory, feel less pain, you know, jointed aching after you you know, mm-hmm. exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And as long as our business practices are consistent with what's required in the state of Nevada, we right. can sell it. Right. And we could, we could sell it at any price that we want to without right. any regulation. It's re- yeah. And we can make a lot of claims. Now, I know <clears throat> that certain CBD companies have been caught or, or stopped by, I think it was the Federal Trade Commission, because even though they were producing you know, across state lines, which you can do with CBD, they were making medical claims which had not been proven. So they Mm -hmm. would say their CBD product did this or that or this Mm -hmm. or that. And the FDC basically came down and said, nuh-uh, you're making medical claims and you cannot do that. You got to take your product off the market or stop doing that. Right. Um, And and that's true. Yeah. But but again, go ahead. But again, it depends on, you know, this is all about business. And mm-hmm. how much product is, you, you know, it's they're, they're not going to go after the small fries or whatever. They're going to go after the big, you know, producers, the big, you know, and then, you know, honestly, there's an enormous amount of big money going in being invested in cannabis quietly in this country. Yes. And, and quite ironically, this is very, I don't know whether it's ironic or it's interesting, is that many of the large investors inside of the United States are actually Canadian uh, investors. Yes. And Canada, as many of your listeners may know, had approved cannabis at the the national level two years ago. And they spent probably several years divining a regulatory standardized pathway for what dispensaries need to meet to sell the product, what growers need to do to get their product on the market in Canada, et cetera, et cetera, labeling what, you know, what it's going to look like. And that's really what needs to happen in the United States in order for this industry to become a bona fide industry. Now, a lot of people are probably saying, well, we don't like regulations. We don't want more regulation. 
but unless it's unless it's rescheduled at the legal at the federal level you're going to be not be able to do business to the best of your ability because you're limited in how you can do business right so instead of if you if you're a producer for example in Colorado and you want to sell in California the only way for you to do that is to set up shop also in California if you want to sell in Maryland you got to set that's enormously expensive for people in business why not have, do the amazon model and you know have hubs coming from one central location being distributed like in a satellite way mm -hmm. rather than having to reproduce higher that would be good for for jobs it would be good but you know people aren't in business to people are in business to make profits yeah and if you have to replicate your business 34 times you could see where you're going to limit your distribution and your reach into the market and the other thing that makes this the wild west is because this is now being regulated at the state level the states mm -hmm. do not have anything set up in terms of regulation or oversight uh, they're just you know, to really regulate the industry within a state. They don't have the resources to do that. However, they're they're getting a lot of new revenue from all the uh, tax right. revenues that's being you know being acquired from all the sales that are being made from mostly recreational marijuana. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. so I want to thank Cliff Mintz for being with us today. He's the author of CannabisScienceBlog.com. And he's got a great blog. I really, if you're interested in this topic, I highly recommend that you subscribe to the blog. Um, and uh, Cliff has even started making some noise about possibly doing a podcast on this topic. We'll see what happens with that. But um, Cliff, I want to thank you for being here very much today. We'll stay in touch. And um, for everybody listening today, thanks so much for being here. I want to thank you for not only being here, but also watching all the videos that we have on our website, which is at gotohealthmedia.com. You can see the videos there of all our shows. And of course, you can listen on podcast networks, seven podcast networks um, at the behest of Voice America, which is producing this program. And Cliff, I want to thank you again for being here. And everybody, please tell folks about our program. And uh, when you sign up at gotohealthmedia.com slash updates, um, you can tell me what kind of... Uh, topics you'd like us to cover in the future, and we'll be happy to take that into consideration. So Cliff, I wish you the best. Keep up your research and your blogging, and uh, we'll look forward to being back in touch for an update. Thank Thanks you, Jonathan. So it was a pleasure being here. Good, and thank you for your expertise. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Have a good week, and go to health. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life. 